0: I would like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Bessie. Hi, Bessie. Um, so I have to, like, talk right into it. So I have to get closer? Not so much. Huh? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Bessie. You're recovering anorexic, a cultural reader. Thank you um, for asking me to speak. I'm short. can't hardly see me over the podium. Um, <laughs> I um. It, you know, it's really, truly a privilege, you know, and an honor to be asked to speak and and to have something to speak about. You know, that um, that ongoingly is changing my life. You know, um, I kind of get, you know, I've shared my story like so many times, and you know, I get nervous and stuff, and so I tend to stick to the same old, same old stories, right? I mean, some of the some of my story will never change because the facts are the facts, but. Um, um, Whatever. I don't know. So we'll see. Maybe there'll be something new and exciting this evening. Don't, I don't really know. Um, blah, blah, blah. Right? It's the same, um, you know, my story is not unique, certainly in these rooms. and probably not unique in most parts of the planet, but... Um, And, you know, just the disclaimer is that, you know, just anything I say is only my experience, strength, and hope. I'm not the authority of OA, um, despite what I'd like to think about that. Um, I'm not. um, Anything I say is strictly my personal experience um, and the experience of people who have shared their recovery with me. So there you have it. Youngest of four, alcoholic father, you know, parents divorced, you know, that stuff's always going to be the same. Um, you know, I, um, I'm i kind of smart, and so I thought a lot about my life. <laughs> you know, I've been, I've had a lot of professional help, like, over half my life. i spent a lot of time with a lot of professionals, like, trying to help me, um, which has been a good thing. But, you know, I have a, a, a brain that's active and, you know, anyway, so I could, I finalized myself until the cows came home. And, you know, there's actually a, um, and, I, and I'm not discounting that because it, it has also helped to save my life, but, um, you know, there's a, a line in the big book that talks, that says, you know, self-knowledge avails us nothing. And in my experience, what that means, actually self-knowledge avails me something. Uh, it didn't cure my disease. You know, it didn't keep me from starving myself or from binging or from doing the self-destructive things I was doing. Um so it availed me something. But in terms of recovery from the disease of compulsive overeating and anorexia, it didn't make it go away. And I have been in therapy for a long, long time doing that, you know, whatever. I mean, really, I've been, I'm 35, I've been in therapy since I was 14. So <clears throat> it's a multi-million dollar mansion waiting somewhere with all the money that I've spent on therapy. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, you know, growing up, Um, You know, I think that, and I've said this before, but, you know, I I believe that um, whatever, evolution or nature or God or whatever you want to say, um, you know, kind of builds into humans. You know, I mean, I think that there's no way that I could have experienced or had knowledge about what was going on for me as I was growing up in the same way that I do now. I mean, I believe that the human brain doesn't – I didn't have the capacity to realize that I was – you know, kind of going, being tortured. You know, I didn't have the ability to acknowledge that at that time because, like, how can I acknowledge that about a, the people on whom I depend on to, for my survival? So, um, you know, I mean, I, I, growing up, like, I seemed like a, I mean, I was really outgoing and I was a gymnast and, you know, I was, you know, got good grades and, I mean, again, we can trace my dysfunction way back and I could tell you stories about things, you know, that I remember from elementary school but, um, So, um, but, you know, like I said, you know, I I did pretty well. Um, And, uh, you know, I was sexually abused by my brother and um, always thought that it was my fault. I should have said no. I should have stopped it. And um, so whatever. I mean, you know, I went through my life, you know, like I said, outgoing, got good grades, you know, um, pretty social, pretty... Whatever, um, and and the place that food had in my life, you know, um, the the earliest story that anybody ever tells about my about me growing up related to food was that, it, that I think we were camping or something, or we at some kind of family retreat or something, and nobody could find me, like I was gone. And I I don't know, I must have been, like, three or four or something. It turns out I was under the table with the butter dish, like, eating the butter, you know. Um, So that's, like, the family story about my food that's been retold, like, for 35 years, you know, or whatever, 33 years. Um, You know, and and looking back, this is all in retrospect. I mean, it wasn't as if, well, at at some point I, I realized that food was a huge issue in my life. But early on it was... You know, I didn't. I remember consciously when I was probably 13 or 14, realizing that I was eating because I was anxious. Like at that point, I knew, like this is what's going on. But prior to that, um, you know, I I ate a lot. You know, and I was extremely active. I was very. I was. I was. I started with gymnastics when I was like three or four, and up. You know, into into puberty, and so I was extremely active and I ate large quantities of food and um I um you know was never significantly overweight, you know. I, I was horrified, I was absolutely horrified. Um my sister had came up with some old pictures of me and my family and there aren't that many baby pictures of me. I like I said, I was the youngest of and you know, my parents' marriage was over long before my mom got pregnant with me. I mean, they were still actually married, but um, so there just aren't that many baby pictures, you know. There just aren't. Um, but my sister had found some old, My, you know, God, my lovely mother decided that she, she got remarried when I was, like, 19 or 20. And um, she, I, I don't know what her story is on this, but she just, like, bagged up all of our family pictures and put them in a pillowcase and just, like, even to my sister. It's like, that's really odd. But anyway, my sister decided to sort through them and um I got them recently and uh, my boyfriend looked at a picture of me and he said, Oh, this is horrifying. Absolutely horrifying. He said, Oh, you were kind of chubby and I was like, Are you out of your mind? I am not chubby. Absolutely not chubby. And how dare you say that I was chubby. I was not chubby by the way. I don't know what the hell he was thinking, but whatever. So, um I was horrified. Um <laughs> anyway, <laughs> obviously. Um, so, um, anyway, food, what I remember about food growing up was that um, when I was at my dad's, I would cons- my parents divorced, and my dad they divorced because my dad was having an affair and in love with another woman or whatever. So... Um, when I would go visit my dad, which was not, you know, he was a, a, a significant part of my life. They were divorced, but I saw him every weekend or every other weekend. And um, when I was with my dad, they, you know, my mom has weight, has always had obsessions about various things, and her weight happened to be one of them at times. And so we had like non fat milk. I've been drinking diet soda since I was like probably three, because, like, you know, I don't mean, I have enough saccharin and. Part of me and all that shit in my body that I I'd probably die a young woman, die thin but die young. Um, So I've been, you know, my mom. So we had like non-fat milk and you know diet soda and you know whatever. So I would go to my dad's house and they had the good milk, which was you know like whole, Um, good milk and chips and Coke and everything. And they, my dad had you know was making a decent amount of money, so we'd go out to eat a lot. And I remember being at his house, and stuffing myself to the point that I could not breathe. I mean, I, I literally had to lay back. I, I could not breathe. Um, and so as I began working the Steps in OA, what was planned out to be by my sponsor was that whatever the behavior was with food, whether I was binging or I was starving, it was always worse at my dad's house. You know, my dad's alcoholic was alcoholic probably pretty much out of the womb. You know, drank and smoked. He's from the Midwest, um, Green Bay, Wisconsin. That's what you do in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And you drink, um, You watch Green Bay Packer football, and you smoke. And you have a lot of sex and, you know, whatever. Get pregnant young and married or whatever. Or not married. In my family, they didn't get married, just got pregnant. So, um, anyway, my dad drank and smoked and whatever. And, and so, you know, whatever the food behavior was, it was always worse when I was at my dad's. And, um you know, whatever, compulsive over-eating for the most part. Although I do remember, you know, dieting and as part of my gymnastics, like, we had to write, I was weighed on a weekly basis and had to write down everything I ate, but I didn't really give a rip. I would make shit up because I didn't remember. Like, I was, like, 12. Like, who, I mean, I was 12 or something, you know, what? like, so I'm to, I mean, I just made stuff up, you know, just like, oh, I don't know, whatever. But I remember, you know, going on diets at various times and, you know, just, Whatever. I mean, I'm sure part of that was because my mom had some has some food stuff. But um, anyway, the like the big time impact where I became aware that food was an issue was when I was um, you know between eighth and ninth grade, and there was there's some really painful emotional stuff going on, you know, and um, my best friend, you know, had decided that. Um, I did get it. God, I, I know so much in retrospect. I certainly didn't know it at the time, that she had decided that, you know, my controlling and manipulating wasn't working for her, and so she found a new best friend, and I was devastated. I mean, I was seriously devastated. Um, so there's just a lot of emotional pain, and... Um, You know, the way I remember it starting, and who knows if this is actually true, because the older I get, the less accurately I remember, and the more times I share my story, it's like the same story. So who knows if it's actually the real truth is just what I remember. Um, And that was that um, I had a friend. I was running track, and I um, had played field hockey, and I was, you know, I had stopped gymnastics at that time. But um, I had a friend who um, decided that she wanted to weigh, or that she weighed 100 pounds, I think. And I, oh, I have a great other food story that I'd like to tell you before we get there. Um, <clears throat> when I was, like, 12, 12 and, how old was I, I don't know, 11 or 12 or something, like puberty-ish, right? Like, I we were on a vacation, like, on a little family trip, and um, uh, I noticed, or my, actually kind my mom noticed that, and I, I think I weighed 100 and, If I remember, I think I weighed, like, 112 at the time, and I was probably my height or a little bit shorter. And I had stretch marks. Like, I had gained some weight. Like, girls gain weight when they hit puberty. It's like a normal human phenomenon, right? But I had had stretch marks on my legs. And my mom pointed them out to me, and she said, you know, you really need to start watching your weight. And I, like, I mean, I remember the state of panic. Like, I was consumed. Like, oh, my God. God, what am I going to do? I'm fat. I I mean, I was like, I remember the horror and, like, became obsessed with, you know, these stretch marks on my thighs and, you know, whatever. So that's my fun food story. But, um, (laughs) uh, you know, whatever. Um, Which, I mean, I weigh actually more than that now, you know, and so whatever. But I had probably gained some weight because that's what happened. And then the weight disappeared because that's what happens to girls when they're, in puberty, you know, they hit puberty. It's just a normal phenomenon. So anyway, whatever. Um, so this friend of mine um, weighed 100 pounds, and I decided that I wanted to weigh 100 pounds. I don't even know how much I weighed at that point, but I was, you know, running track, and um, so there was a scale in there, or whatever. So I decided I wanted to weigh 100 pounds, and I either bought or somehow had access to a calorie book. And... Um, So began the march on, you know, how many calories I was eating. I began telling my friends how many calories they were eating. You know, I, um, you know, I got down to 100 pounds. And, you know, and then I just continued. And I really, you know, I don't often share about this, but I generally don't have time in a, you know, 10 to 15 minutes share, but, um, now, here's what my experience was, and I remember it. I mean, I remember very specifically being just in a ton of emotional pain at that time, I mean, serious pain, and feeling like nobody liked me and I didn't have any friends. And, um, you know, and I, and I was telling my friends that, you know, and they're like, what are you, crazy? Like, what is the matter with you? You have lots of friends that I was really having a lot of pain. And, um, you know, my what I recall about that period in my life was that, um, was that I felt like? I mean, I think as I stand here before you, I mean, I, I I certainly felt like I made up that I was being anorexic. Like I pretended I was anorexic, and I really wasn't. Um, I, whatever, I don't know. I mean, there was I, I I'll tell the story. There was some, there was a movie that I'm sure you could get access to at some point called The Best Little Girl in the World, and it was about this girl at the time. God, it had to be like the early '80s. And they were, she was, they called her anorexic, but she was really doing a whole lot of shit besides starving herself. She was vomiting and taking laxatives and doing all kinds of stuff. So, um, I had seen that movie, and we had a close family friend whose daughter was anorexic. It's like, I didn't have any contact with her. I wasn't hanging out, like, sharing starving stories with her. I I don't know, whatever. But I felt like, and and some of this was true. I mean, I felt like I pretended to be anorexic, but I really wasn't. Um, And this... The story at a meeting I don't know in the last couple of months and a good friend of mine just thought it was hysterical so I'll say it because she thought it was so funny and she told me about it later and she just laughed That was so funny so I was running varsity track and um, it was all around this period where I was in this tremendous amount of emotional pain and um, didn't have tools to deal with it didn't feel like I had any constructive way to deal with that I just didn't have tools not because I just didn't have them you know my, my family certainly didn't have tools um Alcoholism runs rampant on both sides of my family everywhere. You know, I just didn't have tools for how to deal with what's going on, you know, in a very constructive way. Although my mom, God bless her, I mean, really, God bless her, she worked her ass off and did the very, 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 very best she could. wasn't what I needed, but she really swear to God did the best she could, really. Um. Anyway, so I was running varsity track, and, um, oh, I, this really is a funny story, but, um, I remember running in this race, and I'm extremely, extremely competitive, extremely competitive. And um, I was losing. I was losing in this race. And it, was, it wasn't even, like, a real race. It was, like, in practice or something. We were running, and I was losing. So I, I fell. Like, I, I tripped and fell flat on my face as if, you know, something horrible had happened. It was because I was losing the race. Nothing <laughs> happened. So I didn't, like... Trip on a rock. I like fell down flat on my face because I was losing the race. So um, and it was just practice. And you know, I think that again, kind of at, in this moment as I stand before you, looking back on that, I mean, I think that a lot of it was wow. just an attempt to get some help. You know, just an attempt to really get some help. And I didn't know how to do that in a very constructive way. And so I started losing weight. And I. Um, began to, you know, they're, like, in those little calorie books, they have charts, like, if you're 5'2", and you want to weigh this, this is how many calories you should eat. So what happened for me is I began to, like, ask that number of calories. Like, I said, you it, to, to be in this weight, you should eat 1,200 calories. I began asking it. Okay, I'll eat 800 calories. And then it became, you know, 400 calories. And then it became, you know, a half a cup of strawberries and a rice cake, you know. And I was... Um, completely self-absorbed. I mean, I don't even know the amount of time that I would spend, but we had this full-length mirror, and I would stand in front of the full-length mirror. I, I mean, dear, dear God. Like, I mean, it's a really sad state of things, but I would stand in front of the mirror, so consumed quickly. I would pull the fat, like, from or whatever fat there was, like the skin away from the back of my thighs, and stand there, and... and so I could see what it would look like when I was really thin. And my goal was that my thighs, that I stand with my feet together and that my thighs not touch. That was the goal. Um, and I'd be, you know, whatever. I think I'd be so happy. So um, <clears throat> um, so I lost a bunch of weight. I, was, I weighed between 25 and 30 pounds less, less than I weigh now. And because we had this family friend that was anorexic, blah, 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 um, my mom was hip to it or, you know, knew what was, Seemed to know what was going on. She took me to a therapist. I and, mean, again, I'm in an extreme amount of emotional pain. And the guy says to me, "This I don't even remember what the guy's name was, whatever, Joe Schmo said, you know, what's going on? I'm crying. And I was like, oh, no, I'm fine. I'm really fine. So I had been given access to help, and I couldn't or wouldn't or didn't or whatever, didn't do anything with it. Then I got thrown in a hospital, and my mom's convinced that that the reason that I got put in a hospital very interesting thought process. The only reason I was put in the hospital is because that particular therapist was going on vacation and um, he didn't want to have to worry about me. I mean, I don't know what, where the hell she comes up with that reasoning, but whatever. So I was hospitalized and it was at that point that I was introduced to Overeaters Anonymous. Um, I was 14 years old. I was in an eating disorder unit for adults. That's um, just the way it was. Like, I'm smart. I got along well with adults. I welcome to being the child of an alcoholic, right? Mm-hmm. I, I deal well with dealt well with adults, um, and, uh, I was 14 now. I would love to tell you that at the age of 14, I had really hit my bottom, but that was not the case. So, um, dear God, I'm not going to spend too much more time on this stuff because it's like, oh, dear God, I mean, I could talk forever about, you know, the, the, the mess instead of the message, you know, and, um, Anyway, got introduced to OA, had sponsors, abstained for, you know, periods of time, like wrote, did, did writing things, did lots of journaling, too, and stuff I don't even know how many, like, piles of these books of journaling, which is not even really journaling, it's just like, who knows what it was? A waste of time. <laughs> but I still have those, some of them, because uh, dear God, I, I have some clutter issues too. So hard for me on that to let go. Um, but anyway, so got introduced to OA again. Had sponsors, abstained, went to meetings, had service positions. The key component was that I did not work the steps with a sponsor. Did not do that. It's not what I recommend. So what happened is that was in 1985. Um, I was in and out of the rooms for, let's see, basically until October 1st of 1990, in and out of the rooms, um, Mm -hmm lost all the weight again, Um, I have other grave emotional and mental disorders, Um, I was diagnosed with, you know, clinical depression, a social compulsive disorder, blah, blah, blah. My life basically went down the toilet. And I was going to meetings all the time, had lots of different sponsors and all kinds of stuff. You know, but somehow I never really heard the message or it never, it just wasn't time. Um, And thank God I didn't die before it was time. Um, But I just didn't ever hear that the steps are the program. Right, there's a lot of other things we do here. Like there we go to meetings and we have sponsors and we have literature and we do service, like but the steps are the program. And it says that in the literature, like in OA literature, the steps are the program. And all of the other stuff, the writing, the literature is intended to support the process of working the steps. So it took me, you know, five years, another hospitalization, and a lot of insanity. I mean hardcore Low bottom. And it was that second time I was hospitalized. It was just in a straight psych ward, you know, with people talking about being Jesus and all kinds of stuff, you know, not not the spooky spooky eating disorder unit anymore. It was like the R course psych ward. Although it wasn't Los Angeles, so it was a lovely place to be. It was like <laughs> fabulous. Like it was. Yeah, I was in there with some very famous people who shall remain nameless. Anyway, um, oh, anyway, so started going back to meetings. Still didn't work those steps. Hospitalized when I was in 1988, still did not work those steps. I don't know, you know. Uh, So basically, what happened, and people, I got abstinent out in the East San Gabriel Valley, and, you know, people say, oh, you know, I'm in an area where meetings are not very strong, and, you know, not a lot of recovery I and mean, we're so blacked on this side of town to have really really a lot of recovery and a lot of strength and out there there just isn't at least in the area i was there wasn't a lot of abstinence there wasn't a lot of time didn't make a goddamn bit of difference i found a woman who well it is kind of a funny story i mean I, I in some way i knew she had what i wanted um but she was mean she really was mean like a mean woman like i would tell the people in program that things this is before she was sponsoring me the things that she would say, and they'd be like, and, and why did you want, why do you want to talk to this woman? It was like, I don't know, but it's, I don't know. So anyway, <laughs> she had what I wanted. Um, and I would call her, and she'd say, You know, go write a 10 step about it and call me back when you're done. Well, I didn't even know how to do that, and I, of course, didn't do it and didn't call her back until the next time I was in a lot of pain. And, um, I had said something to her in confidence. This is so funny. I, I think this is after we started working together. I said something to her, and I said, oh, please don't repeat that to anyone. She goes, Betsy, I don't know anybody who gives a goddamn about you anyway. Like, what would it matter if I did tell? Nobody gives a shit about you. What difference does it make, you know? Um, so, anyway, um, I was completely consumed with myself, and she wasn't having any part of it. So, um what happened is, I remember being at my house. I, I, I'll save you this, the gory details, but I was in a lot of pain and I was crying. And my life was completely unmanageable. And I was abstinent. I was abstinent, and I was crazy. Like people in those meetings, after I got abstinent, and started working, or after I started working the steps, they would say. Oh dear God, we dreaded seeing you come into the. Meeting. <laughs> I mean, I was a mess. Like I would just blather on about. Or uh, I mean, I was and I was genuinely in a lot of pain. But I called this woman. Her name's Mary Ellen, and she and I, I. called her one night, and I was crying, and I said, "You know, Mary Ellen, you have to help me." And she thought that meant I wanted her to sponsor me, which was not what I meant at all. But that's what she thought it meant, and. So she started saying, okay, this is how you do it, you know. And, and I really, at that time in my life, like, I had, I had such limited life skills. I mean, again, the stories, I could go on and on. I just didn't have the capacity to have intimate relationships, to be a productive member of the human race, to be self-supporting through my own contributions, to, you know, just, just I just didn't have the tools. You know, uh, despite having come to meetings up and on for whatever, how many years, five and a half years at that point, or five years, you know. So really the take-home message, and almost every time I share, the take-home message is, if you don't hear anything else, um, the take-home message is that my life is what it is today because I actively, thoroughly, methodically, with a sponsor, worked all 12 of the steps. I didn't go one, two, three and stop. I didn't go one, two, three, four, five and stop. I did every single one of them and again it's not because I'm fabulous or smart I mean it had nothing to do with that it's because I was desperate and crazy and the planets aligned and this woman showed up I I certainly didn't have a master plan I didn't wake up one day and go oh now I understand I've only been coming to these rooms for a long time now I get it it's really the stuff I was desperate and I was crazy and I called this woman and I asked her for help and she started telling me what to do and I did it (laughs) I mean that's it So, um, and it it was really broken down for me, you know. It was like, you know, um, prayer and meditation was, you know, and and I had no clue and I had no tools and I had a lot of anxiety and a lot of OCD and a lot of depression and all kinds of stuff. And I needed her, I mean, she broke it down for me. I was like, like I was, you know, so needy and um, so anxious and so... um, so dependent on her, you know, and I needed it to be broken down. Like I didn't know how to live a life. You know, so she'd say she'd say, Okay, I want you to do, you know, I want you to pray and meditate. It's like, okay, what when do I do that? She goes, you get up in the morning, you go to the bathroom, you put the toilet seat down, you sit on the top of the toilet seat, you turn your timer on, you pray for two minutes, you meditate for one, you get up and you go on with the rest of your day. Like that's how simplified it was for me. This is what you do. This is how you do it. And I needed concrete, you know, stuff. And i called that woman sometimes five times a day. I mean, God bless her. And she later told me she would never sponsor someone like me again because I took way too much time. So um, I'm so grateful that she was willing to give of herself to me. And and the only reason that she was willing to give of herself to me is because someone had done that for her in the exact same way. So um, her life was very different than mine. She was 40 years my senior, she was, had been a sheriff, I mean, her life was nothing like mine, and she would say to me, you are the most like me of any person I've ever met, so there, you know, if your story isn't my story, or just, you know, your life doesn't look like my life, doesn't matter, you know, um, so anyway, I, uh, oh, I have so many stories, I could just share them all night, but I really don't have time for that, So neither do you, and you'd probably lose interest rather quickly, I, I'm always happy to talk about myself for extended periods of time, so, <laughs> I would not get uh, bored with myself. But anyway, just cut to the chase. Um, You know, she led me through the steps, you know. And what that eventually meant for me was that, you know, is that each day, not like once a week. I mean, again, this is not everybody's experience. This is just my own. And what that meant for me is that every day, on a daily basis, to the best of my ability, and some days I didn't do it because I was decided I was going to stay in bed for three or four days and not get up. But, you know, it meant that I was doing prayer, you know, two minutes of prayer and one minute of meditation. I was, you know, reading the step that I was on in the 12 and 12, in the OA 12 and 12, because by that, and at that, when I started working in the it was only the 12. There wasn't the 12 and 12. Mm-hmm. It was only the 12, because had, they hadn't come up with the traditions for OA yet. I mean, not that we hadn't come up with them. There just hadn't been literature written the, like a 12 and 12. So, um I was reading the step that I was on, and I was doing whatever writing was involved in that particular step, like for 10 or 15 minutes every single day. You know, um, when I did my fifth step, I, um, she was anal herself. I mean, she was not, uh, certainly not the pinnacle of mental health herself, but, I mean, but God, she was a hell of a lot better than I was. So, but she kept track of exactly how much time it took me to read my fifth step. 33 and a half hours is how much writing I had done. And here's the best story. I was not sure I had done a thorough job. I really, swear to God, I was not sure. was unsure that I had done a thorough inventory. Swear to God. And um, so obviously we didn't sit for 33 and a half hours straight. She kept track of it, like, every, you know, probably to the minute for all I know. I don't know. But anyway, the only reason I know is because she kept track of it. And um, the only reason I know the date that we started working together is because she kept track of it. So um, did the fifth step. um, Step six and seven, you know, were, um, were and have always been kind of my biggest struggle, you know. Because I, I don't think I, 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 to this day, I don't think I've ever been entirely ready to let go of anything. Anything. Good, bad, or indifferent, I don't think I've ever been entirely ready. So steps six and seven, um, you know, are ongoingly difficult and, you know, anyway, they just are. Um, so what else do I have to say about that? I mean, in the process, you know, so... Um, you know, I just celebrated 15 years, and, and it's actually probably been a, a fair amount longer than that that I've been absent, but that was the date that I, that I marked it. And, um, you know, so that means, you know, in the last 15 years of my life, every day for the last 15 years, it means that I haven't had to abuse food. You know, I haven't had to starve myself or binge Or exercise like a maniac to burn off what I ate yesterday or tomorrow, you know, like that, right? So that means life, the life, my life, you know, and again, I'm not unique no matter how much I'd like to think I am. You know, my life, everything that's happened for me in the last 15 years of my life, I have done it absolutely. I have done it without binging, without starving, without vomiting, using laxatives. And, and, And again, it's not because I'm fabulous or special. It's because... You know, the God of my understanding, or the the cosmos, or whatever, lined up. I was desperate enough, and I was crazy enough, and it was time. You know, and I didn't have a master plan. I asked her to help me. She. We started working the stuff. So, um, you know, and so what that has involved is, you know, in the last, you know, so I was how old was I? I was 19 at the time that I started working with her, and so. That means that, you know, I ha- what that what the last 15 years has entailed has been, you know, I had to live through, like, having flashbacks from the sexual abuse, you know, I- and I did that abstinently. You know, I lived through, you know, graduating from USC. I always forget if it's Magna, laude Magna, or Summa. Anyway, with, for, like, I did really good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did that in abstinence, you know. I um lived through, you know, my dad's death, you know, and and as a result of the steps, and, you know, having worked the steps, all of the steps in Al-Anon as well, you know, my dad, I had been by choice estranged from my dad for, God, close to a decade, you know, because they were nuts, they were absolutely nuts, and I knew that I could not put myself in that position or I would lose my mind, you know. And so I was, you know, I sent birthday cards and Christmas cards and talked on the phone very briefly, whatever. Um, but because of the steps and because of abstinence and, and because of just a, a lot of work, you know, like the, the last two and a half years before my dad died, um, you know, I had an amazing relationship with him. You know, he died when he was 64. Um, you know, because you can't drink and smoke and eat and do all the stuff you did and be diabetic and eat sugar crap all the time without paying a price. You just can't. You know, his body couldn't handle it, you know. And, um, and, and, I'm, and it, I'm extremely, it makes me really, really sad, you know. And I, and I also feel, you know, extremely grateful that for whatever reason I have the yeah, upper. I have ongoingly the opportunity to recover you know and my dad didn't you know not that it wasn't he wasn't get me and believe me he was aware of aA he was aware of all kinds of things and he just, just 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 wasn't what happened for him just wasn't what happened you know and so I feel so 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 grateful for that you know and and I hated that man with every cell in my body for a long long time in abstinence like tons of tons of inventory and I hated him and, and, you know what, the truth is the matter for me. And, again, this isn't something that I talk about a lot, but it's the truth. You know, there I needed to have space in my life to hate him, you know, for as long as I needed to hate him. And, um, you know, again, that was post-inventory. It wasn't like I just hated him and never did anything about him. I mean, I had written, ugh more inventory that you could shake a stick at a lot of inventory um but my experience was that as I was abstinent and as you know I got to see you know kind of what was behind all the freaky crazy behavior I was doing with food you know um I got to really have some healing around that and I got to see that you know I I despised myself you know I hated myself I thought that I was I swear to God, I thought that I was, I don't even, there's not even words to describe it. I thought that I was just the worst thing that had ever been put on this planet. And what I got to learn in abstinence and heal and in recovery and all that, is that I had to learn, you know, with a lot of help, that, you know, a lot of that anger was not mine. You know, it wasn't, it didn't, it wasn't to be directed at me. There were things that happened in my life that deserved like an angry response that I never that what I had to learn or got to learn was that there was a place for that and it did not mean need to be directed at me again I didn't wake up one day go oh Jesus what have I been doing this whole time you know it was like a long process right but I needed to have the space to despise him for a long long time but the good news is that again because I had and have and continue to work the steps I had probably the best relationship I've ever had in my life with my dad the two and a half years before he died I got to be with him I got to support him and love him and he was who he always been you know um and and it's a miracle of the program because there's so many and I am so grateful for that too because there are so many people who don't who also don't have that opportunity you know their parents die before they get in recovery and they don't have the opportunity that I had and so I'm very grateful for that as well um Anyway, you know, lots of life in abstinence, you know. Um, I lost my virginity in abstinence. I, you know, fell in love, fell out of love, you know, dealt with a lot of relationship stuff, you know. And Jesus, you'd think that by this age and by this amount of recovery, like I'd have all my shit together, right? And that also isn't the case, you know. I, um, I really, um, anyway, you know, just having a lot of feelings. And, you know, one of the things that my sponsor used to used to quote me, often or whatever there's a line in the big book that says we are sensitive people it took many of us far too long to overcome that serious handicap (laughs) and um, she would say that to me often and um, you know one of the other things that she would say to me um, that, that saved my life is that she said you know again she was she was not like, oh, sweetie, foofy, 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 foofy. Like, she was not like that. She said, you know what, Betsy? I don't care what you think, and I don't care how you feel. It's what you do that matters. I don't care what you think, and I don't care how you feel. Because, again, by that point, I had been in therapy for a long time, and I was all about, like, oh, I feel this way, and oh, I feel. because I thought that the solution was, if I just get this feeling stuff figured out, then I'm going to be cured. Then everything's going to be fine. And <clears throat> not accurate, right? So she'd say, I don't care what you think. I don't care how you feel. It's what you do that matters. Um, And that saved my life because it was like I didn't have to get into, oh, am I willing? Am I not willing? Do I want to do this? Do I not want to do this? No, I just sat my ass down and put my pen to the paper and wrote. Like, that was it. I love that. So, um, you know, what my life looks like today is that I am a fully functioning member of the human race and fully self-supporting through my own contribution and am able to contribute to the lives of other human beings. Okay, like, that's not enough, you know. And I have have an amazing life. I have a career that, again, I didn't have a master plan about. I kind of fell into um, that I love what I do. I make really good money, which in L.A. is subject, I mean, whatever the hell that means. I mean, compared to people in, like, in in Green Bay, Wisconsin, I'm like a fucking millionaire. But, you know, in a way, you know, not so much. But, I mean, I make... I make really good money, you know, and I love what I do. I love it, and I'm really, really good at it, you know. And, you know, what, um, you know, I'm able, like I'm a valued member of the company I work for. You know, I couldn't I couldn't hold a job, for God's sake, and I got fired. I got fired fired for hosting at a restaurant, for, for God's sake. <laughs> I couldn't even cut it as a waitress. I got fired, you know. So um, I... Uh, You know, I've been to Africa twice to do volunteer work. You know, I care about things that are happening in the world today. You know, I had a woman in Alabama a long time ago say, you know, um, And I happen to be religious too, but she she said religion is for people who are trying to avoid hell and spirituality is for people who have already been there. Mm -hmm. And um, I like that. You know, and like I said, I'm a religious woman, but it's kind of cool anyway. And I say it to religious people too just because it's kind of fun. So, um, yeah. Um, Anyway, so, you know, I... God, I just don't even know how to say it. Like, you know, for me, in the process of recovery, initially it was a lot about the external circumstances, like getting up and taking a shower. And, like, my sponsor would say, go do the dishes and call me back, because I'd want to blah on. She'd go, I'm hanging up, go do your dishes, and then call me back, you know. And... So, originally, it was a lot about the external, like, getting up, showing up at work. Like, I learned how to have a commitment and keep a commitment. And, you know, what's what's true in my life today, you know, and and in terms of food, it's like, and it's shocking and amazing and probably hard to believe, but it's, swear to God, is the truth. You know, 99% of my life has nothing to do with obsession with food. Like, nothing. Nothing, nothing. You know, I have the ability to relate to food, like, okay, I have to put food in my body because I I need it to, you know, stay awake and do my job, you know. That's not where I come from, you know. Um, But my life really is about my life, you know. It's about really the real things, like, that are happening in my life. Like, I'm 35 and I'm not married and I want to have a baby eventually. So it's like looking at how to... It originally, it was all about the external. Like, how do I show up at a job? You know, how do I, you know, physically take care of myself? And what I'm learning, you know, with a lot of help, is is how to internally be good to myself and to take care of myself and care about myself. And and learning how to do that, and I'm so far from perfect. It's not even funny. But learning how to do that in a way that that is kind, very kind and loving to myself and to other people. You know. Um, and I'm generally nice to people, unless I'm dating you. So if I'm, <laughs> so I'm dating you, all bets are off. Like, all freaking bets are off. You. And, um, yeah, ask my boyfriend. He'd be happy to come and have a multi-hour discussion about what a bitch I really can be. So, um, but really, that's true. I'm, I'm generally really, genuinely loving and kind. I'm romantically involved with you. <laughs> Not so much. So, um, that's like a big area of pain and recovery for me, you know, and, and so anyway, but all that to say that, you know, that the foundation for my life, like my DNA has been altered as a result of the steps of this program, you know, and the fellowship, you know, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, um. Who I am is not who I was 21 years ago. You know, who I am is not who I was six months ago. Um, So grateful and feel so, so fortunate to have recovery to share. And, John, thanks again. Thank you so much for asking me to share.